Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck. Frank. There's Jerry. And uh, this is Stuff You Should Know, right, Chuck? Mm-hmm. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Great. Just toothless and happy. Good. I'm halfway there. To your tooth to the reappearing? Tooth. Yep. Nice. When's your next visit? Well, I go in tomorrow to make sure the implant is looking good. I can tell you that. It looks great. And then in August is when I'll actually get the post and crown. Man, I'm really sorry that you have to do all this. Thanks, man. Oh. It sucks. Yeah, that's why I'm sorry you have to do it. And I can't, not that I wear my, my flipper much anyway, but uh, right now he was like, don't even wear your flipper while the implant's in there. And I was like, all right. Is that why you're wearing overalls today? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, Chuck. Chuck, have you ever tasted human flesh? No, but I think you asked me that same question when we did our regular cannibalism episode. Yeah, probably. But this is the, the subject so nice we had to serve it twice. Well, we've actually talked about some other stuff, too. Like, we did a whole Donner Party episode. Yeah. We talked about the Essex and the Whaling episode. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've talked about cannibalism a lot. Like, it's if there were a, a, um, a tag cloud, uh-huh. it'd be decent size. Okay. Chuck, we should say, um, if you guys didn't get this from the title, we're talking about cannibalism, and some of the stuff we're talking about gets pretty graphic and grisly. So yes. if you have a weak stomach or you're a little kid and you don't want nightmares, uh, maybe don't listen to this one. Very good, sir. And now let's move on to survival cannibalism. <laughs> That's right. So again, people, go listen to our cannibalism episode, because it was a particularly good one, if you ask me. Um, did we talk? Surely we talked about the Uruguayan rugby team. I don't know if we did or not. Is it just that? I'm so familiar with the story that... Or actually, we probably did, but we're, we're going to revisit it today. Okay, well, let's go back, way back in time, to 1972. And the Uruguayan national rugby team is flying through the Andes on the way to play the Chile, Chilean rugby team for a match. And they don't make it. They don't. they plane crashes on a mountain, something like 13,000 feet above sea level, basically in the middle of nowhere. That's right. A Fairchild F-227 of the Uruguayan Air Force uh, had 40 passengers and five crew members, including that rugby team. Yep. And, and uh, it, was, it was pretty much mostly just the rugby team, right? Yeah, they chartered it. Okay. But I think there were some other folks. There were some kids there. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So um, here's the deal with the Andes Mountains. Uh, it's only 170 meters wide. But uh, they're very tall and peaky. I got you. So the tallest one um, is almost 7,000 meters, and it's the highest peak on the American continent. Wow. And uh, the Fairchild, as a plane, could only ascend to 7,000 meters. So they had to find, like, low spots to make that passage. That's called poor planning. Well... I would guess that the Uruguayan rugby team would agree with me that that was poor planning. No, I don't think so. Like, this pilot had made this passage, uh, I had the number in here, but many, many, many times before. Say 80. <laughs> it may have been 80. Um, 
So I don't know if it was poor planning, but it was, uh, here's what happened. Okay. They're flying. They take a, a sharp descent, uh, at about 3.30 in the afternoon and they dipped, uh, below the clouds, uh, because of these strong air pockets. So the captain was like, everyone fasten your seatbelts. This is a little bumpy right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think they felt like they were in real danger yet. Uh, and then it entered a strong downward air current and it said violently dropped several hundred meters. So this, uh, uh, following that, there was a second sharp fall. And at this point, people looked out the window and saw they were below the clouds and they saw mountains like, you know, in their face. Right. And they realized this is not good. They tried to gain altitude, could not. Uh, the right wing broke off when it hit a mountain. Uh, when that broke off, it went backwards, uh, cut off the tail. And then the, at that point, several, like four or five people were just pulled out at that point and died. Sucked out of the plane? Sucked right out. Immediately fell to their death. Uh, then the left wing was ripped off. And what you've got is just part of the fuselage remaining. Mm-hmm. And it goes sliding down the mountains like a, like a toboggan. Um, and, by all accounts, they thought they were done for. Sure. Like, there's no way we're going to stop. Um, but uh, as luck would have it, they did slow down. They entered a valley and slowed down, uh, but with such force that the seats, like, ripped from their bolts. And uh, they crashed through, like, the luggage compartment. Wow. And came to a rest. So how many survivors there were I- I'm not quite sure. I know there are 45 people on the plane. Uh, 27 people survived the initial crash out of the 45. Okay, so that's bad enough, right? Yes. And they're like, okay, we're stranded up in the Andes. The temperature is like negative 30, negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative 34 Celsius. That's right. Too bad it wasn't just negative 40. Right. Um, so they're, they're like, but at least we have the fuselage of this plane to act as a, an impromptu shelter while we figure out what's going on. Yeah. Let's take stock of our supplies. Let's see. We've got some wine and we've got some chocolate and that's it. Yeah. But not very much. It said a few more snacks, but it was very, 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 very little food. Right. Yeah. Um, and then a short time after they crashed and they had taken stock and we're trying to like figure out what to do, an avalanche came and buried the plane. Buried some of the people alive inside of it. Yeah. So eight more people died, I think. Yeah. And previous to this, they actually had a working radio and and there was a search party. And after 10 days, they literally heard on the radio that they're presumed dead and the search was called off. Oh, man. So your spirit's broken. Yeah. Then the avalanche comes and that kills eight people right off the bat, I think you said. Including the guy who was the team captain who had emerged as the leader of the the survivors. Yeah, so he died in the avalanche. Yeah. So then they're trapped in there for a few days. And as the, as people are dying, they start making packs. This was a there was a team, first of all. It was a rugby team, and then there were family members am, among the rugby team. So it was a very like tight group, oh, yeah. right? Sure. And so they started making packs that if 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 I die, you guys eat me yeah. so that like you can try to survive. Somebody's got to make it out of here alive. So be sure to eat me. Yeah, and they had cleverly found a way to get uh, fresh water by uh, melting snow using metal from the seats um, and dripping it into those empty wine bottles. So they, they, it was remarkable that they were surviving at all. Yeah. So they were all very religious. They were Roman Catholic, and uh, you know you're not supposed to eat people. So for religious reasons, a lot of them had a lot of problems with the notion of doing so. Yeah. Um, but they. You know, they did what they had to do yes. in the end. So they sent out a, 
a, a, I don't know if you'd call it a search party. What's the opposite of a search party? To, to brave dudes. Yeah. But th- that's, those were kids. Yeah. Um, and they went on like a 10 day trek and finally were found by a Chilean shepherd who was working the mountain and, um, who he went and got a search party mustard and brought them back and they found the guys. Amazing. So a bunch of them survived through in part survival cannibalism, but definitely more than just that. These guys just didn't, didn't just lay down and die. It was their, their spirits were still up somehow. That's right, dude. In the end, uh, 16 people ended up surviving this ordeal. Amazing. Yeah. Weeks and weeks and weeks in the Andes mountains and freezing temperatures. And they made a great movie called Alive. I've not seen it. Is it good? Yeah, it is good. Um, of course, you know, in typical Hollywood fashion, it was all white dudes. Yeah, isn't Ethan Hawke <laughs> one of the guys? Ethan Hawke is one of the guys. Yeah. Vincent Spano is Italian. Oh, but hey, you don't know the <laughs> difference between an Italian and a Uruguayan? Yeah, they were all white dudes, but, um, or maybe not all, but the lion's share of them, of course. Gotcha. So, um, aside from that, it was, it was a good movie. And I remember, I, we definitely talked about this because I remember telling the story being a kid and like the book was a really big bestseller. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a soccer team because I didn't know the difference between rugby and soccer. Back right. Then. If you listen to our soccer podcast, you might think I still don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so up next, Chuck, is Jamestown. This is actually a fairly recent revelation. Apparently, if you were a scholar, an historian of colonial America, you were in the know that there was persistent legends and rumors that the people in Jamestown uh, had resorted to cannibalism during the winter of 1609 to 1610. Yeah, there were five historical accounts over the years that and, people have pointed to. And these are like first-person diaries yeah. from the people who were there at the time saying it was so bad that we ate anything in sight, including dead people. That's the right. end. But there was nothing to back it up. So I guess the historians were like, these colonists are just trying to show off. Or they're using hyperbole, maybe, like they were saying, I was so hungry I could eat a horse. But they were using cannibalism instead of the horse because they actually did eat the horse. Well, then finally, a couple summers ago, in 2013, some uh, archaeologists who were excavating Jamestown came upon a uh, trash heap where they found the butchered bones of horses and human teeth and a partial skull. And when they examined the teeth and the skull, they realized, like, oh, wow, these are butcher marks right here. They weren't just exaggerating or showing off. They really did engage in cannibalism in Jamestown. Yeah, and this is the only artifactual evidence of cannibalism by Europeans ever, supposedly. Really? That's what it says. Um, and, and with science, it's pretty remarkable what you can do these days. They actually uh, did 3D reconstructions and uh, examined this skull and learned a lot about this a 14-year-old girl that they called Jane. Yeah. Uh, she was found buried a couple of feet down, two and a half feet down. But in a in a trash heap, which yeah, is a, a huge giveaway. A 17th century trash heap. Right. Uh, in the cellar inside uh, the site at James Fort. So uh, 80% of these colonists died in the winter of 1609, and they found what they called multiple chop marks on the girl's skull, um, clearly interested in cheek meat, uh, muscles of the face, tongue, and the brain. And they think that the person who at least was responsible for harvesting the flesh and the brain yeah. from the head was not an experienced butcher. Right. 
the marks on the forehead are hesitant, and apparently they 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 couldn't stand her staring at them while they were doing this, so they turned her over, and then from the back of the head, that's when the marks became a little more confident, and where they finally cleaved her skull open. So they've turned her over, and that's when the the butcher marks start to get a little more confident. Yeah, and apparently that's where they were they managed to access her skull by cleaving it in two from behind. That's right. They also found cuts and saw marks and stuff along her lower jaw uh, that they said was made to get the meat. Who said that? <laughs> In this article I read. Arby's. From <laughs> uh, but here's a remarkable thing. They use uh, isotope um, studies to find out a lot about this girl. So they know from examin- uh, examining her shin bone that she was 14. Really sad. Uh, but the good news is, like, she wasn't murdered. No, she starved to death. Well, good news, bad news, <laughs> I guess. It's sad any way you look at it. Although that's not necessarily true. There were um, there's a lot of disease that was spreading through Jamestown at the time as well. True. So it's possible she died of other causes that aren't quite as bad as starvation. Where Here's the deal. Jamestown was, uh, it's not what you learn about in elementary school. Like, it was doing very poorly at this point. Mm-hmm. People were starving. Uh, the local uh, Native American tribe that were once friendly with them had cut them off. And and they actually showed up in 1607 or six, 1607 during the worst drought in the region in centuries. So it was a really just inauspicious beginning. Yeah. And they called this period, especially during the winter of 1609 and 1610, the starving time. It was definitely. With capital S and capital T. Yeah. So you know it was significant. So uh, in 1609, they're already in bad shape, and then 300 new settlers show up. Uh, <laughs> What's for dinner? On these six ships. They were in bad shape when they got there because they had a rough crossing. Mm-hmm. And so they believe from studying isotopes in this uh, girl's teeth that um, a few things. One that is she came over on those six boats. Okay. That she hadn't been there long. Right. Um, two, that she was uh, either a, a served as a maid to a family of high status, or was from a family of high status, because they found that she ate a lot of protein. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they determined that she's, it's amazing what they can determine. I know. That she was from probably the southern coast of England, because they, uh, water that she consumes while she's got her little baby teeth are forming in infancy. Mm-hmm. You can tell years later where that came from. So cool. Man, it leave it to cool. the Smithsonian. Those guys, hats off. So after eating, uh, Horses, dogs, cats, rats, mice, uh, they ate leather, they ate, they ate anything they could get their hands on. They mm-hmm. finally did resort to, uh, eating humans. Yeah. Now we have evidence of it. And by spring of 1610, only 60 people had survived. Isn't that amazing? It is. Because 300 came over on the boats. I don't know how many are already there. Yeah. 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 Man. It's a bad jam. It is a bad jam. All right. Uh, should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right. I need to regather myself. So, Chuck, I believe we talked about this one before, too, because it's so astounding 
But there was a guy named Richard Parker, and he was working aboard a yacht that was sailing from England to Australia, and the name of the yacht was the Minionette. Yeah, do you know why it was sailing there? Uh, no. A, a rich dude bought it in Australia, and it was just like literally being delivered to him. Oh, yeah. I guess I did kind of know that. Yeah, I didn't know. I just thought it was some expedition or some like... No, I do kind of remember that from when we talked about it before. When did we talk about this? In in, cannibalism? I think cannibalism. So the Minionette is sailing to Australia. A couple of months into the trip, uh, it sank uh, because it's not supposed to sail from England to Australia. It was not built for that. Oh, really? Yeah, and they even kind of fortified it, apparently, and didn't work. Huh. So <laughs> right. on board... There's Put a, a raincoat on it. There's a cabin boy... 17-year-old named Richard Parker. Have you ever seen Cabin Boy, the movie? Sure. Great movie. Yeah. You kidding me, Chris Elliott? Yeah. I was. I think I saw that in the theater. I was so excited. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. David Letterman's in that, too. Sure. He has a weird cameo. Yep. Uh, so Cabin Boy, uh, Cabin Boy, <laughs> Richard Parker, uh, 17 years old, and he, um, there, there's an old tradition called the custom of the sea where you are in bad shape and you draw lots and whoever draws the short straw um, says, you know, kill me and eat me. Well, they say, all right, I won't hold it against you when you guys <laughs> get. <laughs> That's probably how it goes. Yeah. So they consider drawing lots. And then the captain, Thomas Dudley, said, nah, let's not even bother. Look at Parker over smells there. Like, smells like onions. I don't like how that kid's <laughs> looked ever. Well, it's pretty sad. They literally were like, I don't think we even need to draw lots. Like, he's clearly the one that needs to go. Right. He was malnourished. He was skinny. Uh, he, it sounded like from the accounts I read that he was, they were having to kind of care for him. Like, he fell overboard at one point mm. and they had to rescue him. More trouble than he's worth. He drank seawater and got himself sick. <laughs> and everyone's like, you don't drink seawater, Richard. <laughs> so they said, I think we're just going to take care of this, uh, without a vote. And um, he didn't have family right. or anything like that. He was a kid. Who'd miss him? So Dudley uh, jabs a pin knife in his neck. Not a good way to go. Joe Pesci style. If you're going to dispatch, be dispatched. That's not a good way to go. A pen knife in the neck? No, I don't know how. I mean, on a they were on a little dinghy at this point. I don't know. that. I guess no, you just like go, is that out. a seagull? And then hit him <laughs> over the head. <laughs> then you can stab him with a pen knife once he's out. You don't just... Go from zero to penknife in the neck. Hey, I agree. Uh, no arguments here. To go Pesci style is barbaric. Yeah. Uh, so they kill him with the penknife, um, ate his flesh, drank his blood. And uh, just a few days later, they were found. Um, I don't know if they would have survived those few days or if that haunted them for the rest of their lives. Uh-huh. Uh, they were rescued, ironically, by a German ship called the Montezuma, who was the famous Aztec king who ate people. And made them poop. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. It gets even more interesting, though. Well, they were tried for murder. I know where you're going. Uh And found guilty, but uh, people felt pretty bad for them. They were like, yeah, we've all met Richard Parker. (laughs) He did smell like onions. Uh, And so six months later, they were released from prison. But uh, here's where it does get a little weird. Oh, me? Yeah. So I love this. This is 1884, right? When this happened? Yes. Um. In 1838, a little guy named Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story about a boat that sank, and some guys were in a lifeboat, and a guy got killed and eaten, 
And the guy who got killed in Eaton's name was Richard Parker. Isn't that awesome? It's pretty weird. Uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket was the short story. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw something that pointed out, like, many other things didn't match up. But I was like, that's really all you need right. to call it a startling coincidence. Sure. You know? Yeah. Pretty weird. Apparently, also, the guy who wrote The Life of Pi named the tiger Richard Parker as well. Did you know that? I haven't seen that movie or read the book. I haven't read the book. The movie was really good. I heard nothing but good things. Yeah. I've just never been in a Life of Pi mood. You know what I mean? Sure. The name. Mm -hmm. Sort of. It's kind of like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's Pi? Do I care about his life? No. (laughs) It's a good movie, though. All right. Moving on to uh, Alfred or Alfred Packer. Who knows? I heard it was Alfred, but I've seen it both ways. Yeah. Illiterate gold miners in the Old West. Who knows? That's right. Uh, February 1874. Um, Alfred, he's a, he's a gold miner. He's a prospector. And he wants to go to the high mountains of Colorado to find gold. And, um, apparently makes like half of the trip and then stops in the winter and stays with the, the Ute tribe. And they're like, you need to just stay here till spring. Don't go any further. He says, no, no, no. I got this. I'm going to continue on. Thanks for the warning. Right. Utes. So he goes on with his, his friends and um, eventually uh, wanders out of the woods uh, alone. Yeah, he went in with five other dudes, came out alone. That's right. And said, who, me? Oh, I'm just the sole survivor of the group. A storm hit and everybody went their separate ways. Let's not talk about it again. Yeah, he said, my feet got frozen and uh, I couldn't keep up and... I don't know what happened to those dudes. And they're like, oh, really? He's like, okay, fine, all right. Yeah, I killed one of them. But it was in self-defense. <laughs> and they're like, what? Yeah, his story He's like, kept all right, changing. okay, all right. We ate some of the other dudes, but they died naturally. Well, the reason they first said, wait a minute, what's going on here? Is he said that, I don't know what happened to those guys. And they said, well, why do you have their personal belongings in your pack? Right. And he went, oh, well, I know I've got wallets full of money from these guys. Right. <laughs> So maybe I should come somewhat clean. So the story keeps changing every time they ask him. Uh, they eventually, he's in jail. <laughs> <That's> cagey. <laughs> it's very cagey. Uh, he's in jail at this point, um, obviously while he's being questioned and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But the jail was basically a log cabin. No jail can hold Alfred Packer. No, especially not a jail in 1874 in Colorado. <laughs> so he busts it out, goes on the lam for nine years. They catch him in Wyoming. Liver, uh, under the, leaving under the alias John Swartz. Actually, somebody who was part of another expedition that he was on, a guy named Frenchy, Did he recognized him. him. Oh, really? Just happened to run cross paths with him. It was like, you. No way. Yeah. Wow. That's bad luck. Sure. Or I guess good luck. Um, so he was convicted of uh, manslaughter and sentenced to 40 years, uh, released on parole in 1901. After yeah, seventeen years, yeah, and supposedly died a vegetarian at the age of sixty-five. No, that's what they say. It sounds, no, it sounds to me like somebody might have added that. Up. Yeah, that's what I think. He well, he's become a beloved figure. There, I guess there's a statue of him on the campus of uh, UC at Boulder. Well, yeah, they named their cafeteria after him, <laughs> right? And with the subheading, "Have a friend for lunch." Terrible. Those college students back in the 60s, they had a real sense of humor. 
And of course, the South Park guys uh, wrote Cannibal the Musical after him. So, Alfred Packer, survival cannibalist, to what degree, we don't know. That's right. I need another break, sir. I'm I'm hungry. Is that is that awful? We'll be back right after this. Okay. Did you get something to eat, buddy? No, not no. yet. <laughs> Your forearm's looking pretty good, though. I'd make I'd make a nice meaty meal. Well, you know, one of the great revelations in my adult life is that when you're eating meat, you're not eating anything but muscle. Yeah. Did you realize that? Yeah. You, when did you realize that? When you told me on the show. I know that I go over <laughs> some stuff more than once. That's all right. But it was a big revelation. I know. And that's why red meat is red, because it has more red blood vessels. Those are those are muscles that you use more often. Dark meat, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So like in in a chicken, the dark meat are muscles that the chicken uses far more frequently than, say, like the breast, which is white. So there's fewer blood vessels. So it's dark compared to the white meat. Interesting. It's mind-blowing. Do you like dark meat? I like it, I like it all. Yeah. I used to just be like, oh, no, white meat only, please. And then I like really started trying dark meat. I'm like, yeah, that's good stuff. Now I'm just like... Bring it on. Right. Server's choice. That's what I always say. Really? White or dark? Server's choice. And then I'm like, no, no, no. Mixed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to leave this in your hands. And they say, this diner is so wacky. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Franklin Expedition. Yes. This one is, uh, this is a good one. Uh, Sir John Franklin, at the age of 60, had already taken two expeditions, uh, dangerous ones. Yeah. 60, also, we're talking the 1850s? Yeah. 1840s. That's old. Yeah. That's that's an old dude, so hats off to him for doing it again. Yeah, salty old swarthy seaman. Yeah. By all accounts. So um, they were looking for the Northwest Passage from Europe to Asia, up in the Arctic, I guess, right? Going... That would be going uh, westward. A westward, northwest. Oh, yeah, northwest passage. <laughs> huh, I never thought about that before. But there's no southeast passage or northeast passage, is there? I don't know. Who cares, right? Anyway, Franklin's leading this expedition, and um, there were 134 dudes. Yeah, I've seen another couple of numbers, but we'll just, we'll go with that. And they're never heard from again. Yes, and they were not, uh, they were pros. Mm-hmm. They weren't a bunch of dummies that just said, let's, you know, take a bag of rice and some beef jerky. Yeah. They had five years of food. Uh, they went to a provisioner. I didn't really know this how this worked. I figured they just went shopping. But you would like, you would find someone to get all your provisions for the trip. Uh-huh. And like they would win the bid. Right. And you would hire them. So they hired a guy named Stephen Goldner, uh, and, he apparently was in a rush uh, because I guess they just cut it close time-wise and hastily put together um, five years' worth of food in tins, soldered them shut. 8,000 tins of food. 8,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, he soldered them shut. 
<laughs> Apparently, and, that's how they say it in the UK. So shout out UK. All right. Yeah. Um, and here's the quote I saw was that uh, the lead dripped like melted candle wax down inside the surface. That's a bad soldering job. It is. And we just did an episode on lead. So you know that if lead is in your canned goods, that is no goods. Right. So this expedition had two uh, two ships, and they were really well-outfitted ships. They had internal heat. Hot nice. water was piped throughout the cabin so wow, that they could stay really? warm. They had um, railroad engine screw propellers. Uh-huh. They were um, fitted with iron. They were ironclad in parts to break through ice. They were really nice ships, the Erebus and the Terror. Yeah, very poorly named. Yeah, the Terror is not what you would want to name a ship on an expedition, right? No, and the Erebus, I, I looked it up because I was just curious, and apparently in Greek mythology, uh, it's uh, the place where you would go right after death. It's uh, the personification of darkness. So Terrible names. Yeah, the Terror and the Erebus. Right. So, Chuck, they found at least one of the ships. Yeah, just two years ago. Okay. They discovered the wreck of the HMS Erebus uh, offshore of King William Island, uh, underwater or is trapped in ice? Oh, no, underwater. Okay. But they think that it was trapped in ice is how they originally uh, perished. Yeah, because like they were stuck. There's a big mystery with the Franklin expedition because even if they were stuck, they had plenty of supplies, five years worth of supplies to wait until it thawed enough to to sail, at least go back. Right. So why would they abandon this, these ships? It's a It's a huge mystery. And a lot of people say... Well, it was the lead. Look at the behavior. Yeah. They apparently took lifeboats, dragged them across the tundra. They had non-essentials on board with things like silverware. You'd have to just be totally off your nut to be on like a, a survival expedition to right. go find help. And you bring along silverware. <laughs> so everybody pointed to what was the dude's name? Richard Golding's work. Terrible sol- soldering work. Uh, Stephen Goldner. And that his, <laughs> that the lead had, had poisoned these guys and clouded their judgment. Yeah, they, they kind of went mad. But apparently they did some, they, they, some of the bodies have since been found and they did some forensic analysis of it and said, actually, no, these guys have lots of lead poisoning, but it's distributed evenly throughout their bones. Like they were just poisoned by lead throughout their lives. It wasn't acute poisoning from this, this uh, soldering gotcha. work. Yeah. So it just remains a mystery, I guess, huh? It does. And some Inuit uh, tribes reported seeing um, about 40 guys, 40 white men that were in bad shape that they sold some seal meat to. Yeah. And uh, when one of the search parties came across the Inuit tribe, they told them the story. And I think over the years they've been finding, you know, piles of these the bodies in, in different locations. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Inuits first were the ones who said... Yeah, we actually saw one of their camps, like, after we ran into the guys. We think we found them again, all dead, like, the following year. And there was, like, human bones in their kettles and stuff like that. So they definitely resorted to, to uh, survival cannibalism at some point. Yeah, it said, um, the direct quote was, uh, from the mutilated state of many of the bodies and the contents of the kettles, it is evident that our wretched countrymen had been driven to the last dread alternative, cannibalism kind of dramatic yeah for sure so chuck let's do one more huh okay let's this do our famous top 10 consisting of six <laughs> <laughs> tops uh boy this one is super super sad yeah like there's not much joking about this i mean none of this has been funny but we're trying not to just depress everyone right but uh the siege of leningrad is one of the 
saddest moments in world history. Uh, it's when the, uh, Nazi forces, uh, invaded, uh, bombarded over three years, uh, against what is now St. Petersburg and basically for 900 days cut them off in, in an effort to starve out a city of, uh, three, 3.3 million people. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Yeah, it did. It's a great effect. Uh, 3.3 million people, a million died. Over the three-year siege. Yeah, and 800,000 of those died from starvation. 800,000 people. It's nuts. So the, the government, nobody could get to it. The, the Nazis had formed a ring around the city and were defending it and just trying to – they were bombing it every day, but they were also well aware that they were purposefully starving the, the population as well. Inside, um, the people had a ration of bread. Once a day, a piece of bread about the weight of a bar of soap. Yeah, manual laborers got 250 grams of bread, but apparently the bread was cut with pine shavings, and they were subsisting on 300 calories a day. Yeah, and if you were in the army, you would get things like um, fern leaf soup and um, cream of nettle, probably not even cream, but like broth of nettle soup. So people were joining the army just for that, just to have that every day. Yeah, here's some of the things that they use as food substitutes. Um, cottonseed cake, uh, macaroni, which is in quotes, made from flaxseed for cattle, uh, meat jelly produced from boiling bones and calf skins, uh, yeast soup from sawdust, fermented sawdust, uh, joiner's glue, boiled and jellified, toothpaste, cold cream, Basically, it said they even licked dried paste off uh, wallpaper. Yeah, because there was a rumor that it was potato-based. Anything for calories. I mean, that's how desperate things were. Yeah, and, and not just even calories, but like vitamins, too. Apparently, they were sweeping the tobacco shavings from a tobacco factory's ventilation system because tobacco has vitamin C in it. Unbelievable. Or vitamin B, one of those, too. So what happens is uh, a crime wave starts breaking out, as you would expect in a city that large that's starving to death, like people literally just laying dead in the street, like everywhere you look. Right. And apparently not just laying dead in the street, they were half eaten, some of them laying dead in the street. Yeah. And they the they kept this under wraps for many, many years because yeah. they didn't want people to know the world to know how ugly it was. Right. But we have a lot more information now. But um, you would have these ration cards to get this, you know, the tiny allotments of food that they had. And so if their relatives die, they would hide the bodies so they could still use the ration card. And then these gangs, these teenage gangs of teenage boys started breaking out where they would mug you for food and your ration card. Uh, one 18-year-old killed his two younger brothers for their cards. Uh, one guy murdered his grandmother and boiled and ate her liver. And a 17-year-old stole a corpse from a cemetery and put it through a meat mincer. Wow. So it, it's like one of the most shocking things that I've ever heard yeah. in world history. And it isn't much talked about. I mean, you hear about the siege of Leningrad, but I mean, uh, the details of it are just horrifying. Yeah, it was pretty whitewashed, yeah. I think, when I studied it in college. But um, Well, that's because the Soviets just denied the, right. the, the horror of the whole thing. 2,000 people were arrested for cannibalism. Um, 586 were executed for murdering people and eating them. Wow. And it said most people arrested were women. Huh. Apparently mothers would smother like their youngest kids to feed to the other kids. Gotcha. Whew. Man, what a horrible time. All righty. <laughs> That's a 
nice uplifting way to leave people. Yeah, there's others one there's others that we haven't touched upon. So if you want to learn more about it, you can just type survival cannibalism into the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said that, it's time for Facebook questions. I can't think of a more inappropriate way to end this show than to take social media questions and laugh. But maybe we need to laugh now. Let's. All right. I've got a hilarious one. All right. This is from Lou Jean. If you had one, if you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Fried chicken. Oh, yeah? Easy. Mine would be either a uh, really good Indian curry or a really good Japanese curry. Either one of those, I'd be happy with. So a curry? A curry. A good one, though. Great one. There you go. Well, and food, fried chicken, I'm going to, if, uh, if it's a meal, I'm going to say fried chicken, mashed potatoes with gravy, mm-hmm. and cornbread or biscuit or something like that. What about greens? Yeah, I would, um, but dealer's choice, like you said. Okay. Green beans, collards, whatever. <laughs> but that would be my meal for sure. Okay. Good one. That was uh, hilarious. <laughs> Uh, this is from Jeff Ruth. Uh, why doesn't John Candy get comedic props that he's due? Great question. I agree. One of the great, great comic actors of our time. Yeah, he's great. Sad, sad that we lost him. Uh, he was huge at the time. I mean, everybody knew John Candy. He was in some major, major motion pictures, many of which were surrounded by him. I think he's gotten tons of props. So what are you saying, Jeff? Wake up? Well, wake up also because he was Canadian. Okay. Good answer. Uh, here's one from Lily Higgum. What is it like for Jerry producing stuff you should know? Well, here's Jerry's answer. All right. Yeah, nice, Jerry. Illuminating. Good answer. As always. Uh, Russell Redman, what's your favorite breed of cat? And don't lie, because I'll know. <laughs> uh, Russell, I, I mean, I think I'll probably go with the breeds that I have right now, because they're dear to me. So I'm going to say a tabby and a Maine Coon. Okay. And yeah, those two. I, are you ready for this question? Yeah. Charlie Manson asks, Chuck always wears a baseball cap. Is there a reason for this? Uh, Chuck, I think you should tell them right now you're not wearing a baseball cap. I'm not because, as most of you know, my beloved Last Chance Garage hat that I've had for 20 years was lost in Austin, Texas and is in a dumpster somewhere in Austin, Texas. I don't know that that's true. I think it's adorning the hat of a hipster in Austin, Texas. Seriously, if you're in Austin, keep an eye out for that thing. It says Last Chance Garage. It's black. Circle. Smells circle like, emblem. Smells like 20 years of Chuck. <laughs> no one else would want to wear that hat, I guarantee you. But no, I don't wear a hat that much anymore because of that. I love that hat. Okay. R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Okay, Jack Mahan says, what is your favorite automobile and why? Uh, mine is probably the AMC Pacer, just because it's pretty cool looking. I'm not a big car guy, but I'm going to go with the 1960s uh, VW Beetles, because I drove them and I, I still love them. I saw a beautiful looking Beetle the other day, cherry restored that this guy was driving. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, I'm getting another one one day. Nice. Totally. Do it, Chuck. I am. I'm going to have a real nice one. Okay. Um... Brian Tarbell. Oh, Tarbell, why do you tempt me so? Describe Deflategate in one word. We go at it a lot on Facebook. He's our friend from Boston. You're right. In one word, uh, two words, three words, Tom Brady Cheater. Oh. Moving on. Well, I think uh, score one for Chuck. Uh, 
Tara Dickinson asks, is ketchup a sauce or a condiment? Uh, I think it's probably both. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I did a Don't Be Dumb on the origin of ketchup, though. Did you know it's Vietnamese in origin? I had no idea. Uh-huh. Really? Ketsu. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And is that why it's spelled uh, as catsup somewhere? Uh-huh. Yes, that's exactly right. That's the tradition spelling? Yeah. yeah, and did you know, like, originally, before tomatoes weren't introduced until, like, the late 19th century, but they were the British were making versions of this stuff, um, like, from the like mid-18th century, and they were using things like walnuts and anchovies and all sorts of weird stuff. Mushrooms. It was more like a fish sauce. That's how ketchup started. Really? Yeah. Is that why it's uh, got vinegar in it today, probably? Probably. I don't remember why. I think it might just have been originally a preservative. Gotcha. Uh, I'll do one more for me. Uh, This is from Caleb James Wyant. Would either of you ever consider running for public office? (laughs) Um, For me, not a chance. No way. Never had any interest whatsoever, um, and I wouldn't be allowed to anyway. They would expose me so quickly for past crimes against humanity. (laughs) They would dig stuff up on me, sure, and I would be disqualified. So, no, for many reasons. I think that's a great way to end this. Great. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 